And uh, that's the passage we're going to be looking at today. So if you would take out a Bible and have a look at it with me, that'd be great. It's page 269 in the church Bible. 2 Kings chapter 6, 24 to 720. It's a long story, but it's a very simple message. And the simple message is this, to trust in the word of the Lord. Trust in the word of the Lord. It's a perfect message to accompany the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion that are going to follow in this service. Just a word about those. Since the time of the apostles, the universal church has observed these two sacraments as ways of physically affirming our trust in the word of the Lord. At their simplest, the, uh, the sacrament of baptism is about being born into God's family, and communion is about being nourished within God's family. Just as you can't eat until you're born, so also you can't partake of Holy Communion until you're baptized. Baptism comes first as initiation into a new family that believes in the word of the Lord, particularly in this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And so now that we have been reconciled to him, welcomed into God's family, we live according to his word, the word of the Lord. Yet as we go out from this gathering uh, and go out into the world as ambassadors of the Lord, um, the world wears us down. We get weary and discouraged and disoriented. It's hard being salt and light in a decaying and dark world. So we return each week to be fed God's word and then to feast together at his table an outward and visible sign of our renewed trust in the word of the Lord. Note that this isn't a private meal that we have in a back booth, just me and Jesus uh, having a snack together, but it's something we do as a full community at a long table where everybody is able to see one another, and we are strengthened not only by the food, but also by the fellowship of this great family bound together in communion with a common trust in the word of the Lord. That's who we are. And that's what we'll be doing together in a few minutes, observing the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion. But first what we do is we partake of God's word together. We study it together. We learn from it. We sit under it. And in this case, a very long story with a really simple message to trust in the word of the Lord. So that's what we're about to do as we go together into this passage. Let me invite you to pray with me for God's help as we study it. Lord, we thank you so much that you meet us here in this place every week and that you teach us. You teach us who we are, who you made us to be, who you've called us to be, and you renew us in your image. We're so thankful that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon those who ask. And so we ask this of you now, that you would fill us and change us, that not one of us would leave here without having encountered you and been changed by your word. We trust you to do this and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, today's lesson is a history lesson. It actually happened. It's also a fable. It reads like a fable. It's a story that has... Uh, a problem, a solution, a rescue, and at the end, what all fables have, it has a moral of the story. 
Um, and when we get to that moral of the story, it'll be clear, very clear, abundantly clear that what this story is about is trusting in the word of the Lord. So first, let's look at the problem, which is the, the verses at the very end of chapter 6, 624 to 33. And the problem was disregarding the word of the Lord. Israel or God's people disregarded the word of the Lord. That was the problem. The story begins in verse 24 with the siege of Samaria, the capital city of Israel. And food and fuel prices had skyrocketed because of the siege to the point that people were spending a fortune to buy junk food. I'm talking about really junk food. This was donkey heads. And uh, they were not kosher, nor were they any good in a soup. Um, and starting in verse 26... Uh, we see a, um, an, a story that poignantly encapsulates the problem that Israel was facing, the story of the cannibalism of two mothers. They made a wicked pact with one another to boil their sons and eat them, first the one and then the other. But after they ate the one, then the mother whose son was still alive took her son and hid him. So the mother whose son had been eaten cried out to the king of Israel, cried, Hosanna Adonai HaMelech, uh, save or help me, uh, Lord, the king. Asking the king to give her justice, which was really not justice at all, was it? It was a great injustice because she wanted not only to eat her own son, but her neighbor's son as well. You need to know that this story is not just a kind of macabre illustration of how bad things had gotten, but it's actually also proof of what happens when you disregard the word of the Lord. Way back in the time of Moses, uh, in Deuteronomy, Moses had said, here are some blessings you can expect if you trust in the word of the Lord. Here are some curses that you can expect if you disregard the word of the Lord. And in particular, Moses warned his people that a day would come if they disregarded God persistently. A day would come when this cannibalism would happen. Deuteronomy 28, 52, and 53, he said, They shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land, which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord has given you in the siege and in, in the distress. What God had said in his word was exactly what was happening in this poignant uh, story of the two, two mothers. And it was happening because God's people had disregarded the word of the Lord. You also need to know something else about this story, uh, something that had happened just a couple of centuries before um, at a much happier time at the beginning of King Solomon's reign. Right when he had begun, he asked the Lord for wisdom and he made a promise to the Lord that he was going to rule according to the word of the Lord. And after making that promise and after being assured of wisdom, then a test comes. It's these two prostitutes who come to Solomon seeking justice. Uh, they both had babies. One mother had uh, suffocated her son in the middle of the night. So she had taken the living son from the other mother and swapped it with the corpse of her son. And the mother whose son was living, but whose son had been stolen, came to Solomon begging for justice. Solomon heard both sides of the stories, had to choose between them. He said, I know what we'll do. Give me a sword. I'll cut, them in, cut this child in half and give half to each mom. 
And of course, the mom whose son was alive said, no, 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 she can have him. And with that, Solomon in his wisdom had outed the, the one who was true. Because he pointed out the one who was willing to sacrifice her own self for the sake of her son. That was the high point in Israel's history, when God's people lived together in unity and under a king who reigned according to the word of the Lord. But oh, how things had changed by the time we get to today's story. The country was bitterly divided for more than a century. The kings of Israel had been apostate, had been worshiping other gods, not following the Lord, completely forsaking the word of the Lord. And so the people were really suffering this famine uh, was, was affecting them within the city. And this story of cannibalism reveals just how upside down things have become, doesn't it? Our children, our children are our future. Solomon, in his wisdom, had vindicated the mother who was willing to sacrifice herself for the life of her son. In today's story, however, the mother who had eaten her own son was still hungry. And she wanted to eat the son of her neighbor. She wanted to keep cannibalizing the next generation. It's a vivid illustration of the problem that comes from disregarding the word of the Lord. Our narrator doesn't bother to tell us what happened, how, how the king resolved it, if he resolved it, whatever happened to the other son. The spotlight remains right on the king himself because he was really the problem. Like his wicked father, King Ahab, this king had also long cannibalized the future of Israel until the point that the cupboards were completely bare. What he should have done at this point was to repent of his apostasy and return to the Lord. What he did instead was blame the Lord. He made an oath, verse 31, to put Elisha to death, even though Elisha had been his friend and Elisha had gotten him out of jam after jam after jam in previous chapters. Verse 32, Elisha wasn't worried at all. Elisha knew, of course, that the Lord would protect him. He trusted in the word of the Lord. So when the king's assassin returned without the head of the prophet, the king said, verse 33, this trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Think about that for a minute. This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? It is true that Samaria's trouble was from the Lord, inasmuch as the Lord had said this would happen if they disregarded his word. But this trouble was justly deserved, wasn't it? As the king had led the nation into it. It was God's punishment for a trouble that was not from the Lord at all, but from generations of leaders who disregarded the word of the Lord. Imagine being among that future generation of Babylonian exiles, not too long after this, who were hearing this story told. And as they heard uh, Elisha and then the king, hearing the king say, this trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Can't you just hear the exiles gasping and groaning in response to these words from the king? It's like a murderer on death row blaming the government for his plight, saying, I'm not the one who made murder illegal. Whenever we find ourselves suffering 
the consequences of our own selfishness, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. We live in a world of sin and brokenness. Not every disease or difficulty that we face is the result of our wandering from God's word. You're, you're the only one that can sort that out in your case. Some things are because we've wandered from God's word. Only you will know. So it's worth considering whether a hardship that you're facing now is a wake-up call from God somehow, sounding the alarm that comes from disregarding his word. If you're experiencing a problem like this, then you need the solution. That's what's next in the story. The problem, again, was that Israel had disregarded the word of the Lord. The solution, starting in chapter 7, verse 1, is to hear the word of the Lord. And when Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord, he didn't mean just to hear it, but he said to he meant to heed it, to heed the word of the Lord, to obey the word of the Lord, to live according to it. That's the way out of this and every pickle, isn't it? That's what today's baptisms are all about. Today we are welcoming these eight new members into the SWL, the Society of the Word of the Lord. That's what we are together, a worldwide family of those who build our houses on the rock, as Jesus said, rather than on the shifting sands. In today's story, Elisha, the prophet, God's ambassador to the king, gave the king this message. He said, thus says the Lord, tomorrow the food supply will exceed the demand and food prices will plummet in Samaria. The king's right-hand man refused to believe it. So Elisha warned him of the consequence of his disbelief. One way or another, you will learn to trust in the word of the Lord. It's a message for the right-hand man. It's a message for all of us. One way or another, you will learn that the word of the Lord stands forever. Don't wait until it's too late. The king's right-hand man was resolute in his foolishness. He stood his ground, disbelieving the word of the Lord. And before this story is finished, he'll suffer the consequences. There are, there are two paths that we can choose in this regard, and they're vividly portrayed by the imagery of Psalm 1. Think about uh, the, the man in Psalm 1 who chooses between two paths, and you th really think that you're choosing your own way when you, in fact, find yourself walking in the counsel of the wicked, then standing in the way of sinners, then sitting in the seat of scoffers. That's the way that leads to death. The other way is to delight in the word of the Lord, to meditate on it day and night. That's the way that leads to flourishing. And you end up being like a tree planted by a great river, bearing fruit, flourishing. Choose wisely. Choose to trust in the word of the Lord. The problem was that Israel had disregarded the word of the Lord. The, the solution was to heed the word of the Lord and the salvation that comes, the rescue, starting in verse 3, um, is, is a wonderful two-part rescue. First it begins with the four lepers, and then it extends to the whole city of Samaria. Um, verses 3 and 4, the four lepers come to their senses and decide to go over to the enemy camp. That, they think, would be their best chance for survival. But when they did that, in verse 5, they found that the enemy camp was deserted. And here in the Hebrew story, there's a funny play on words, a bit of a pun. 
Um, let me share it with you. The Arameans had fled because they thought the Egyptians were after them, the Mitzrayim. They were afraid of the Mitzrayim. Uh, but actually, those who came into the camp were the Mitzrayim, the lepers. So instead of being run off by the Egyptians, they were run off by four lepers, two, four guys that looked like the walking dead. Um, that's supposed to make you laugh. I don't know if you get that joke. It's a joke in translation, never works. But um, in any case, the lepers feasted in verse 8. They plundered the camp of the Arameans. They were having a grand time. Um, and then they also started to feel some remorse. Uh, verse 9, we aren't doing right. This is a gospel day. This is a day of good news. And so they repented, and then they resolved to share the good news with their people. They resolved to go back to the city to tell the king so that the king could come and lead the people uh, out for rescue as well. Of course, when they got there, the king, the apostate king, refused to believe this good news, even though it was told to him. Uh, he said, no, it's a trap. But the servants around him said, what have we got to lose? Let's at least check it out. And so uh, eventually, after checking it out, they found that the lepers were telling the truth. And, and by the next morning, the whole city had gone out, well, the whole city except one guy, right, had gone out to the feast and um, gathered the spoils of yet another victory that had been won by the Lord. That was the Lord's rescue. The problem was that Israel had disregarded the word of the Lord. The solution was to heed the word of the Lord. We saw God's salvation. Now the moral of the story, the last four or five verses in this passage. If it weren't for the last four or five verses, this would just be a, a sweet historical tale of God's salvation. But starting in the middle of verse 16, there's a message that the narrator hammers home very clearly. And the message is to trust in the word of the Lord. It's clear that we are meant to read this history lesson as a fable with a clear moral at the end, a moral of the story. So listen carefully as I read it again, and you can hear how the narrator drives this home. Verse 16, so a shea of fine flour was sold for a shekel, two sheas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate so that he died, as the man of God had said. And when the king came down to him, for when the man of God had said to the king, two sheas of barley shall be sold for a shekel and a shea of fine flour for a shekel about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate and he died. One thing we often don't understand about uh, ancient texts um, is how words are conserved, the economy of language. Um, we live in a world of infinite paper and infinite word processing capabilities. Uh, in the ancient world, you know, it took an animal skin to write a story like this, and you had to be very economical with your words. 
when you hear something said four times at the end of the story, you got to really pay attention. It's like exclamation points, pay attention. What happened in this story happened according to the word of the Lord, just as the man of God had said. For when the man of God had said it, well then, so it happened. That's what the author is saying in those last four or five verses. And the point here is not to trample the poor guy who got run over in the gate. Uh, He's already dead. The point is to drive home the moral of the story, which is to trust in the word of the Lord. If you didn't catch it, let me say it again. Trust in the word of the Lord. And there it is one more time, the next verse. Trust in the word of the Lord. And by the way, don't forget to trust in the word of the Lord. That's what's going on here. Each week outside of here, we are given a very different message, an opposite message. A message that says, trust in me. Trust in myself. What matters is what I am able to do. What matters is the degrees that I earn, the likes that I get, uh, the experiences that I accumulate, the uh, deals that I make, all those kinds of things. What matters is what I do. And if I don't succeed, I'm a failure. And then we come together in this place, we gather together to remember something very different, that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And with our Sunday liturgy, we keep repeating again and again what matters most, driving home to ourselves God's promises to us. Before we share in Holy Communion together, we're going to proclaim the mystery of faith, right? Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. It's like a reboot of our operating system when we say this. We have accumulated all of these junk programs and and, uh, random data that's confusing us and disorienting us and slowing us down. Just turn it off and start again when we come in here and remember what is most important to trust in the word of the Lord. We are rebooted as those who trust in his word. And then after feasting with him, we go back out into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting that God will keep his promises to us. When I was in college, there was a silly book that came out called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Occur in 1988. It was written by a NASA engineer who had done the calculations and could prove it. And he had lots of different verses taken out of context and charts and graphs and could definitively point to the uh, second week of September when Jesus would return and the world would end. And when that day passed and uh, what he predicted didn't happen, there were a great many Christians in the city where I lived who were fooled and who began to doubt in the word of the Lord. I was a sophomore at the time. I was majoring in biochemistry. um, But it opened my eyes to see how the words of a man can lead you astray, can lead you away from trusting in God's word. A twisted misinterpretation. And now many years later, the reason we spend so much time studying God's word together 
working our way through books of the Bible like this, it's because we really want you to be equipped. We really want you to be able to understand the word of the Lord on your own. I feel like this country is filled with people who used to believe and trust in the word of the Lord, but who have been so discouraged or so misled that that's just, that's old for them. That's not what they do anymore. That's what we're about. That's what the other churches that we've started are about. We're about trusting in the word of the Lord. Come in here and be a part of the SWL, the Society of the Word of the Lord. When King David waited patient, patiently for the Lord, the Lord inclined and heard his cry. He lifted him up, set his feet on a high rock, and made his footsteps firm. And David was able to sing a new song. That's what we want too, isn't it? That's what we're longing for. If we wait patiently for the Lord, so also will we sing a new song. Don't be like the foolish king of Israel. Disregarding the promises of the Lord, even when there was proof before his eyes. Literally cannibalizing the future rather than trusting in God. Don't follow down that path with the scoffers who blame the Lord for their own tragedies that they've made. Trust in the word of the Lord. Trust in him. For all those who will be baptized today, for our congregation, for yourself as well, trust in the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. That is what will stand forever. Let's pray to him. We thank you, God, for this gift. In a world that continually disorients us and leads us astray, that we can come back to you again and again and find the rock and we can build our houses upon it. I pray for that kind of renewal to happen in us today as we witness these baptisms and as we commune with you. Restore us, O Lord. Strengthen us, O Lord, for your sake and for the good of this church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.